You're listening to a Budapest Beacon podcast. My name is Ben Novak. Joining me today, the famous Mr. Gergő Varga. He is the activist who, along with uh, Marton Gulyash, threw paint at the presidential palace back about a month and a half ago, two months ago. A month and a half. month and a half ago. And uh, they were arrested. They actually followed you home. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, how did they actually, how did the police actually track you back to your... Uh, well, they had an easy job because uh, I was never a good thrower and the paint can was open. So half of my uh, pants and backside was colored in bright uh, orange paint, sensing that I was wearing all black. It's fairly <laughs> easy to spot me. <laughs> and as l- later I learned during the trial, uh, undercover police were uh, like they were in the in the. Um, in the protest, mm-hmm. so some of them instantly activated themselves and just followed me around. So this protest was on a Monday night when Adair Janos uh, signed the law, the the Correct. CEU, yeah. the CEU law. The protest happens. You and Marzi have it wasn't a successful uh, Not paint throwing it, campaign. It was the lamest paint throwing campaign in history. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't really get paint on the building. You got a little bit on the door. Yeah, and some in front of it and some on uh, some on the, police. On the police officers. Yeah. But that paint, from what I understand, was it when the bottles fell on the ground. Yeah, and they like just exploded. On them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this happens. Um, Marty was arrested at the scene. Mm-hmm. They took him into jail and then they followed you and your girlfriend home. Correct. Now, uh, tell me a bit about the arrest. So when you were arrested, how, how did that happen? So we went home. Uh, I had no idea that I'm being followed, but in the back of my mind, I was like, they probably have me on camera, so this might uh, this might continue as a case. So we go home, we talk a bit, we take a shower, we're getting ready to bed, and then I hear the doorbell ring, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not expecting any guests, so that's probably the police. And I open the door, and it's two undercover officers, and uh, I think two or more... Uh, properly dressed officers and they tell uh, they ask a couple of questions and I instantly go like I guess you're looking for me so uh, I was uh, I was playing along uh, I didn't want to resist it was fairly obvious I just showed them my pants they were like that's correct and I asked them and they are like okay please come with us to the first district uh, police station and I asked them is Marty there and they were like so you know him like obviously so so they they take you away now. Your girlfriend uh, actually appealed to the press because when you were taken away, they they apparently told her that you would be back in a few hours. That's correct. Uh, they they tried to calm us down and uh, they said that this is a routine case. They saw what happened, so we would be out by the morning. They told my girlfriend that by the latest ten or eleven a.m. I would be back home because it was that was what we were expecting as well. If you throw paint during a protest at the building then that's a fine, you know, maximum. So they just take your data and they tell you, okay, later on, this is going to be a trial and you will be fined. And uh, the police officers were, they were actually, you know, just doing their jobs and they were trying to be helpful and all calm about it. But later in the evening, when we realized that none of us are actually getting, uh, you know, questioned and they took a piss test from Marcy because he was completely sober uh, and so on, they made me also blow a breathalyzer breathalyzer to, to see if I'm drunk or not. Uh, and then all of a sudden during the night, it, it kind of changed and they told us, yeah, you have to wait until the morning to go to the prosecutor's office because they're charging you with violence against police. And, you know, I'm like deer in headlights, like, but that's not what happened. And even the officers who were there, they were like, yeah, sometimes they try to escalate it, but don't worry, it's going to get dropped. So you'll be out mm-hmm. in the morning. 
And instead, when we got to the prosecutor's office, it got dragged along for further and further hours. And just before, uh, like five minutes before they had to let us go, you know, because the 12 hour uh, limit in which they can hold us would be yeah. passed. The prosecutor just comes up and just throws the charge in our face because if they if they're charging you with violence against police, then they can hold you for seventy two hours. So you guys ended up staying there for three days yeah. in in jail. Um, so I was there. I, I believe it was on a there was a protest on Tuesday or Wednesday. It was one or two days after you guys were initially arrested and you were in the jail in Buda mm-hmm. um, over by the Bem uh, by the Bem Teir. Yeah, that was. Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening. So a spontaneous protest uh, erupted where people went out to show solidarity with you guys. Now, that was actually quite funny. I don't know if you know the background story behind this, but the protest was initially announced somewhere here in Pest. Mm -hmm. They thought you guys were being held here at a jail in Pest. So a bunch of people went over here. I, I went myself, and when I showed up there... People said, oh, you know, the, 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 the place changed. You guys are actually in Buddha. So I went over to Buddha to the jail, and there were maybe, I would say, 25 people standing there. And I said, wow, you know, I'm kind of surprised. You know, I was there to report the event. I thought mm-hmm. that more people would show up to show solidarity with you guys. So I'm walking around, and I'm wondering whether, you know, whether I should just go home. And all I hear down the street, I just hear chanting coming from down the street and a mob of people were <laughs> a mob of people were coming up the street and uh, you know they were holding signs and chanting and then you know they all went in front of the police station and or the the, the jail and uh, they stayed there for hours they were they were out there protesting for hours there was a scuffles with the police officers there nothing too serious yeah. um, it was all a lot of show that's where i saw your girlfriend who was there asking mm-hmm. she said that you know they took my boyfriend away from home they said he would be back in the morning and he's still in jail i wonder if he's here um so that was that was really interesting and then on thursday you guys had your trial yeah now i went to that trial and uh it was the first court case i'd ever sat in on in hungary and this thing reeked of being a show trial. Yeah. It was amazing. I I couldn't really understand how the judge was taking this so seriously. No, it it, it felt like something out of a Kafka Kafka novel, honestly. Yeah, it was it was just very bizarre. The 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 courtroom for our listeners here, the courtroom was completely packed. The trial lasted like six hours or something, six and a half hours. And uh they really threw the book at you guys. The prosecutors came after you guys for everything. They, they, yeah. Everything they could try to stick to you, they, they tried to stick to you. What was the most interesting part of that, of that trial for me personally? Is that Marty? Maybe. All right, so we'll just let our listeners know right here that we agreed to meet at a certain time, and Marty didn't show up, so we just decided to start recording. Now I'm going to go open the door for him and let him in. All right, so Guyash Marty just decided to pop in and join us finally. Marty, thanks for taking the time out of your day to show up. You it's know, my pleasure. 45 thanks, minutes thanks after for, you agreed. No, it was just a half an hour, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's, it's our pleasure. So we were... We and were, I, I brought some coffee to you. You did bring coffee. It's very, very nice of you. Yeah, of How course. How considerate. <laughs> So we were talking. We were talking here about about the trial, about your your show trial. Which one? 
um, the latest one. The, the latest one. Oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the latest, thanks. the latest show trial. So regarding the the trial, I had just said that you know to me this was the first trial that I had ever seen um, in Hungary. It seemed to me like a show trial. It was really amazing to actually take part in something like that. Amazing uh, is not the word I would use, but <laughs> it, you know, for me, th- th- there comes this point where it's so surreal, it's bizarre. Yeah, like you're standing there, and you're like, is this really happening? You know, is this really something that's that's going on here? And what was so strange about it, on on one hand, was the number of people that showed up. So the people who were actually there in the trial, they made it clearly obvious to them that they didn't take it seriously. So there was laughing and clapping going on. The judge got quite upset a number of times yeah. because the people, you know, in the audience that, that were sitting in the and, courtroom. And when the, the judge passed the final verdict and even pe- pe- people just walked out. Yeah. That was... That was the like the bone chilling moment, you know, when the bizarre came back to reality. That it, because of the whole thing felt like we're in two different trials, you know, like one was basically our standpoint and the supporters that come on, this is just a fine. What what is this? And as the lo- longer and longer it dragged on, it went from bizarre to to kind of hilarious to sad. And then when they passed the final judgment, and people walked out, like some people, then you know. Uh, pasted posters on on the on the building itself, etc., and and you could feel like the sadness and anger just boil up in yeah. that moment. And you know, uh, your lawyers made it quite clear that there were a bunch of procedural problems with this. Uh, yep. You know, with with your arrest and with the trial itself. Um, our, our listeners might not know this, but your lawyers actually received the docket of your charges 30, 40 minutes before the trial started, like a hundred page folder. So the prosecutors dropped that off with them. And I was talking to, uh, I think I was talking to your lawyer Mm -hmm. outside when they, during one of the breaks. And she was telling me that she was telling me that this is just really absurd. So obviously you guys are appealing the decision. So we'll see whether, you know, the rule of law stands in the appeals court. Um, Another interesting thing about your trial, um, and I think this is very important to point out for our foreign listeners here, that in Hungary nowadays, when you or in the past few years, whenever I've gone to uh, protests, there is one person that I see at these protests almost all the time. The guy is a legend. <laughs> Mechimre. Yeah, Mechimre. Imre, is, uh, he was arrested after 1956 during the, the revolution. The, the guy's like a revolutionary deep down in his heart. I mean, he's been, how old is he now? Over, over 70, I guess. Yeah. And, he's, and he was there with his wife and he was... Yeah. Uh, he was at our trial as well. Yeah, he was at the trial. I saw him there too. And yeah. I was, I, and he, then he I, I see City him Park. everywhere. Yeah, he goes to City Park to stare down like these big ass security guards. So it's it's yeah it's it's really interesting to me that that uh, you know while while some people may try to cast you know the protests happening in Hungary as being you know purely these young people these rabble rousers you know there's guys like Mechimre who are always going to these events showing up and it feels amazing you know because you're like always at the end of the day you're guessing kind of like am I doing the right thing am I doing the right thing am I continuing you know the spirit of fifty six which was like mm-hmm. a genuinely good cause to fight. And then when the spirit of 56 is literally walking next to you at a protest. Wow. You yeah. Know? It's, uh, it's surreal wow. <laughs> from one end, but it's very humbling, mm. you know? Yeah, me too. So I, I'm proud of, you know, knowing Imre uh, personally. And I'm, I guess I could consider myself as a friend of his. So you guys were, you guys were convicted. You have to do in total 500 hours of community service. Yep. So, grass mowing. Gra- yeah, mowing the grass, picking up trash. So you guys are appealing the decision, yes. and yeah. that's that. 
few days after you guys had your little failed attempt to throw paint at the <laughs> at the at the presidential palace, there was another paint throwing incident where mm-hmm. this guy Arpad that you had mentioned earlier during one of the protests in Budapest threw paint uh, at the terror house. terror house run by Mario Schmidt, the government's favorite historian. And uh, he had his trial yesterday. He was convicted. Yeah. And they fined him 750,000 forint. Which is yeah. more than how much uh, money apparently Orban has officially. Yeah, so he was, a, <laughs> he, was, he was fined more than Orban's entire wealth on paper. And the damages to the building when he threw paint was around 10,000 forint, they yeah. said. So 750,000 forint. Yeah, he, he, he didn't throw even a paint. So it was just a colored voter or something like that. So it was a bottle of water, actually. Like like oranges or yeah, it was food like paint. That. It was not food, real. Oh, paint. it was food paint. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was not even paint. Wow. Do you know the the damage which we caused uh, at the at the presidential palace? It was twenty three thousand forint. So it's already it, like minimal. It's ridiculous too. Yes. Now during your uh, during your trial, uh, at at the end when you guys gave your closing speeches, you guys gave very powerful closing speeches, and I think. Despite this, how surreal and bizarre the entire trial was, that's the point at, went, at which it got serious. You know, where all of a sudden everything kind of came back together, and you know, the people who were sitting there, and this was televised live—not uh, televised, it was live streamed. I don't think, by the way, that there had been any trial up until now that had been watched by so many people via live stream on on Facebook as as your trial. You know, I think Index was uh, Index had a live stream going. Did you guys also have one from Schleim? Katush Mirza may have also had yeah. one. Thousands of people were yeah, watching. Yeah, it, it was a yeah, it was a huge phenomenon. Let's tell our let's tell our audience a bit about your guys' closing speeches. Do you still remember what you said? More or less. More or less, yes. Marzi, what, what what was the point of your speech? Um, I tried to express that uh, okay, uh, I, I I did something which is not uh, normal in some in some sense or in some terms, but. Uh, the whole point of this uh, accident or, or, or intervention was not, you know, causing damage in the palace, but, you know, expressing my anger, expressing my uh, disagreement with the decision made by the government and the parliament. And, of course, uh, my disagreement with uh, with signing this law and... and, and like the, CEU. Yes, yeah, CEU. So, and uh, if the, you know, jury wants to, you know, prevent these kinds of an accidents happening uh, furthermore, uh, then don't, you know... Um, dragging me in front of the court, but, you know, stopping this kind of, uh, this, that these kind of uh, harms of uh, law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on my end, uh, I was pointing out that freedom is, is not something that you're given, and then it's like this abstract concept. It's something that you continuously have to defend, and you defend it by testing its limits. So when you protest, you kind of have to push the envelope, you know, especially when things are deteriorating. And the things you hear on these protests or the actions that people, t- that people are taking it's not normal by by any stretch, you know, like you couldn't hear these things a year or two ago. But uh, if the government keeps on passing laws that are detrimental to the populace and we have reached a level, which I think is kind of bizarre that now like the middle class and upper middle class is out protesting, you know, they have passed laws against the rest of the populace who are not as independent and powerful to show in big numbers for various reasons. And now these people are on the streets. So my closing sentence was like, what kind of people keep laws that are passed against them? You know, so, and that was surreal because I went out to the city and I could hear other people quote that. 
but you were convicted, so life goes on. You guys are you guys you guys are you guys are appealing the decision, right? Yeah. Yes, of course. Any news on when that trial is going to be? Mm, not, not before autumn, I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's my estimation. These drag along forever. So the protests seem to have kind of died out since you know over the past few weeks. Uh, we will see it on the twenty first of May. So yeah. How much? How much? Yeah, how much power it has because it, it they were going strong, you know, like it was protesting every day and yeah. that they it, it lasted for seven, eight days or something. Mm-hmm. But Easter, you know, which is like a big break yeah. for everyone. And uh, like we know by studying other social movements that uh, shit gets serious when it's like a continuous protest for three, four weeks, like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And summer is coming, you know, things are dying down both for like school. There's no school. Uh, but we will, have, we will have a heated autumn, yeah. I guess. That's you think so? Of course. Yeah. No, you know, the frustration did not appear, disappear from the from the from the society from, um, among the people. So it's uh, it's still there, and they are just waiting for the right cause to express it again. So you kind of run into this really weird situation. Like I went to, I covered a lot of these protests. I was there all the time, and and what I what I saw was that it always ends up you end up having a standoff where the protesters go, come out to Koshuter. And you know they face off with the police on the steps of the of the parliament. Yeah, the police are not going to move from there. Obviously, and 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 the police, uh, to their credit, have been extremely patient with uh, with protesters. I think patient and professional. Yes, they, they've been very professional in how they deal with the protesters. So you have this standoff that never really goes anywhere. You know, people end up just going home from there, or they decide, okay, we're going to walk across the city and go to the Fides headquarters in uh, Livayutsa, and then they rave at the octagon. And then, and then the the parties, <laughs> the, and then these protests usually end with a party for where Kata, they for Iraq's frustration. Yes, <laughs> where they where they party in in, uh, in in octagon in a square kind of between here uh, where we are right now and uh, and Fides's headquarters. So I, I get this feeling that the 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 protests they the reason why they die out the way they do is because I don't think they the people see that it's going anywhere because it doesn't have a concrete demand that can be uh, that can be escalated into into some sort of a more formal way of protest that we will continue doing this until the demand is met Uh, because like don't pass Lex CU you know that was the demand and that was struck down by Fidesz they don't care and now it was that ball was passed on to the European Parliament so now tension is up in the air again, like how will they react? And we're just kind of like reading the press on on how they're approaching this. But uh, unless I, I agree that, uh, that they just die down because at, at one point you're like, okay, so what now? Yeah. Right? So there's no no definitive leaders who are, who are, or even groups who are kind of dominating that conversation yet. And I think those groups emerge out of much more concrete demands. Yes, and I guess there are several things we, we should talk about. And uh, I just like to like to express some thoughts about uh, this issue because, you know, right now the decision about the future of CEU is in the hand of European institutions, and I guess it would be a disaster if you know the European Committee or any other uh, European um, body, uh, political body, will force the Hungarian government uh, to change their mind on on the legislation on CEU because it would make an example for the people in Hungary that yes we have to protest but we have to wait for our fathers and mothers in the European yeah. Union to save our souls from this evil government and that would be a disaster that would be a disastrous uh, example because uh, people should really you know learn that no 
solutions uh, shouldn't come from a foreign body, even if it's a European Union uh, institution. No, we, the people, should you know uh, fight for justice, fight for equality, and fight for freedom. On the other hand, uh, I, as an addendum to that, because if we say that it's just the EP, like the big uh, abstract mother or father, it's also important to know that what parties. Because now we're at Article 7, you know, which to me came as a surprise that they went for the harder option and not just another sternly worded letter. And Article 7 was passed not only by the historical leftist parties in the European uh, Union, but also a good, po a good portion of, of Fidesz's party. So it's like, it's also a strong message that it's, if you start a fight on your own, then that will be escalated by other people who agree with you and who might not be in your country, but it sends the strong message that the European Union is the same body of politic, you know? What's interesting about this this whole Article 7 thing is that, you know, while it's symbolically very important that this happens, so, uh, you know, for, for many years now, the European People's Party has shielded Orban from any, any from real, real any criticism regarding Hungary's democratic rule of law. Yeah. This, this vote that took place in the European Parliament was a split from that. Of the 200 MEPs in the European People's Party, 60 some odd of them voted in favor of this resolution. Another 40 abstained from voting, so they didn't. You know, that's they make it pretty clear that you know they they're not defending Fidesz on this, and the remainder actually still sided with Fidesz. But while we can be optimistic about this being a very strong sign, at the end of the day, Article 7 is very unlikely to actually be invoked against Hungary because this is this is the first step in a very long process now it's very possible that Fidesz will be put in a situation where they will actually backstep from this and the whole procedure will yeah, die down. Yeah, I, I didn't mean it like as an optimist. It's just like an optimistic signal, but it's not the solution itself. But it considerably raises the stakes in the sense that this government will, will screw over its own country in the European institutions to, if it has to, you know, that they're willing to go to the wall, the same way that they have tested the boundaries and continuously stretched the boundaries of Hungarian democracy to form the system we have now, they are willing to do the same thing in the European Union. And that raises the stakes for us because it's like, okay, not only are they, are they going against us, but unless we stop them, they will do irreversible damage, even more. Just one more thing I would like to add it. Uh, because I think, you know, the, the lack of EU is a domestic issue, and it's very important because it is about whether, you know, the citizens have equal right to access to this kind of knowledge or not. And if the European Union will pass the Article 7 because of this, and they did not do it because of the, you know, harming of human rights constantly on the south borders of the European Union, not just, you know, Hungary, but the European Union too, and you know it's 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 ongoing since years and they didn't you know raise even a question about it they didn't raise any kind of you know obstruction against it and you know they were in silence it you know shows that they are not you know um, acting on the European, you know, values based on the European values whatever it is uh, but just because you know it's something that um, the, the, the CEU has the capacity, you know, to raise a kind of a campaign for defending itself, which is fine. I'm, I'm not against it. I'm just saying that if European Union uh, wants the citizens to take it seriously, then they should, you know, be very strict uh, with, with its values. And if, you know, it's any kind of uh, harm against, you know, humanity, against human basic human rights are happening on the borders of the common, you know, uh, borders of the European Union, they should be as stern as they are right now with uh, with with CEU.
Yeah, but while, while you said the politics aside, the cynic in me kind of says that it's easier to pass the plan for the two-tiered EU. Yeah, of course, if but you, that's, if that, you have less yeah, but that's, votes that against it, that shows it. the ultimate, you know, two-faced uh, uh, quality or or nature yeah. of the entire Is European it, Union. Well, yes and no, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to like get into a debate over whether there's a two-facedness to this. As somebody who, on a, on a more personal level, um, I, I do see a lot of positive things from the idea of a European Union. I mean, never, do. never before in the in the history of this continent have you seen such a prolonged period of peace in mainstream Europe as you have since the European Union came along. Now, on the fringes of the EU, yeah, there have been a lot of very terrible things that have happened since the EU has been about. But for the continent as a whole, I think it's been a pretty good thing. Um, but it kind of begs the question: at the end of the day, um, you know, are there irreconcilable differences? between nations. I don't think there's a in irreconcilable difference between nations because as you said the EU project itself has put a lot to sort of if not completely remove but sort of cool down these ethnic differences and border differences that we have especially in this region. Uh but there is a stark difference in people who think that nations and national sovereignty is above like the European integration and in between the people in those very states. So it's like the difference is not state by state, but rather there's a great divide in the general populace, you know, in these two directions. And uh, and it seems to be that uh, now now these uh, national and Eurosceptic pa- powers are sort of gaining a foothold and they want to take a step back. And so to, to kind of defeat that notion, I think those who are in for the integration must uh, put forward a narrative on like, okay, if the EU so far has been good, but it was bad enough to let these powers rise, then we need a new vision for the EU that can cure these sort of ails, right? And uh, that's sort of a new narrative that needs to be formed, and it's kind of starting up, I think. Well, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because you you do have certain countries, leaders of certain countries, your own prime minister, for example, who's trying to sell this as this is the Hungarian nation who's 100% behind him. Living in Hungary, seeing what we see on the ground, we know that clearly this isn't true. So this it's that's not exactly the situation in Hungary. But ultimately what he's doing is he's driving a wedge between Hungary and, you know, the greater European project, whatever that means, greater collaboration, greater integration amongst these amongst these countries. So it's uh yeah, it's an interesting thing. Article seven, probably not gonna happen. Very good symbolic sign, but definitely not going to happen. And that's not a bad thing. So let's let's uh, let's let's circle back into Hungary's own domestic yep. domestic affairs here. Yesterday, uh, Fekete Győr András, he is the chairman, the chairman of Momentum Movement, the party party president of Momentum Movement, showed you up. Know that's funny, but because I guess they are still not a party officially. I guess you know uh, they are still a kind of an association or something like that. Yeah, let's keep that in mind for when they try to register as a yes, party. Yes, and and that's my point. That's my point <laughs> too, because I guess that that will be an interesting you know phenomenon during the autumn because they are still not a party officially, and I'm not sure that they will be accepted as a party till you know the registration the deadline of the registration for the uh, general election just like you know it happened with uh, with the two tails uh, mm-hmm. uh, dark party yeah we'll see and if and if they get accepted well b- before then that's also a telltale sign I, i guess yes so this movement that's almost a party they've submitted the paperwork the the courts haven't yet signed off on it the president of momentum movement which kind of got its name from this nolympia campaign a very successful campaign to stop Budapest from hosting the the Olympic Games in 2024. 
He goes to the the offices of Origo in the past few years, changes in ownership. It's kind of become a propaganda outlet for the government. And uh, so this guy shows up at their offices and he walks up to this quote-unquote journalist who's been writing uh, hit pieces, character assassination pieces against people in civil society, politicians, and so forth. And he kind of calls him out. Yep. Now, there's been, a, there's been a debate amongst journalists in Hungary. You know, I see it on Facebook. I've spoken to my friends about it. Well, did, did this guy Andras cross a line by showing up at Origo's offices? He definitely didn't cross any kind of um, line, and he did the right thing, I guess. He was very peaceful. He didn't mean any harm on this um, Andras uh, Kovács, Kovács who is a journalist, so-called journalist. So I guess that was a very uh, smart, necessary, and absolutely, you know, um, good Uh, move from momentum and I, I'm okay you can criticize some of uh, Andras Fekete Gyur's um, arguments or you can you know criticize some of his gestures or, or you know tiny details but generally speaking it was a very necessary uh, move because you know you have to take the, uh, make these kind of an examples for the society and not just you know Gerge or other kind of an activist but you know uh, a, a wide range of people should you know make these examples and not just in the capital but in the countryside too to you know showing up in front of those who are accusing us or who try to you know rubbing us and 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 uh, and you know confronting them that we are not afraid of you I, i'm going to diverge on that point but to like recap origo used to be a news organization it was very res- well respected uh, and then it got completely obliterated basically by by a hostile takeover and now it's like a frankenstein monster that operates on propaganda electricity So I would not call it a news organization anymore. And this is an important distinction to make when we are talking about this subject, because if if your narrative and your ethos is looking at it as a propaganda machine, then at one point in uh, in the escalating protests and like the social movement, it is necessary to to take action against them and to say that this is not to be tolerated and the people who work there are are doing a, like a horrible job. They're working against their own nation, right? Uh, and then at one point, like, you know, you run, you run out of kind of the excuses on why you keep this up. So the question kind of becomes not whether it was right or wrong, because there's a lot, there's also another attack on press freedom going on. They just uh, raised uh, the advertising tax for publications by 25% or 50, no, 50%. Yeah, from 53 to 7.5%. Yeah, this, so it's like a 50% increase, which will further strangle media and it will expose even more outlets to more hostile takeovers. So I think it's important to talk about freedom of the press and it's important to show solidarity for the freedom of the press. But it's really hard because most journalists try to keep themselves away from active uh, political action, uh, which I think is sort of this misguided notion, because if you look at Germany or France, this sort of distinction is not really there in the sense that if you're like an ideologically uh, committed publication, whether you're a liberal leftist or rightist, then you then you show support. And especially, even if it's not about the ideal, ideological standpoints, if the government is uh, stepping on your neck and you're not fighting it, then you can't expect other people to fight it, fight against that for you. So in that sense, I kind of feel that Fekete-Gyur's action was sort of, it was a misstep in the sense that he he picked a fight that wasn't his to start. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. In like a, and, and it might backfire optically and tactically. So 
but it has been done. We'll see how they're going to react, uh, whether who can twist the narrative. And uh, I think what we need in the future is to sort of establish the avenues of communication for, for this new rising opposition so these questions can be debated in like a proper way and sense because now it's all out in public. So do is there is there is there a rising opposition here? Well, definitely, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a very broad movement so far. So it's like ideologically diverse and we can we and the next next big challenge I think is to make it uh, more diverse in class because now it's very very middle and upper class and you can see it's very interesting that uh, they are trying to pass uh, more uh, uh, austerity sort of labor laws to like loosen up that and uh, to expose more workers and government workers to be more vulnerable and if you see those sort of uh, arguments on how they're they're kind of going down like these workers as soon as they mention like if you pass this we're going to strike uh, then the system immediately kind of grants their demands because they're very terrified of these two these two movements to like kind of channel together. Just one thing, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon I would like to add to this class diversity thing because we are uh, organizing right now uh, an event for uh, the 4th of June which is a memorial day of the Trinon decision and we will do it in the, in the union's uh, uh, headquarter uh, of Vashosh and uh, it was very interesting because I was talking to the guy who is the owner of this place and we were talking about the, the, the legislation of labor yeah. and uh, I, I, I asked him that why do you think the government pulled back uh, this proposal which they did without you know any kind of a negotiation so there was no pressure on them so you know it was absolutely uh, on their own uh, as a move and they he told me that uh, because it was, you know, during the time of, of these protests and this whole CEO clusterfuck. And uh, it was very interesting because he said that he, they, they knew that there was kind of a moves uh, in the countryside among the workers in factories. That if, you know, this uh, legislation will be passed, they will, you know, rise up and uh, start, you know, doing demonstrations. And if, you know, if the chance is there that, you know, the, the worker class and the upper middle class, middle class, you know, can find a common ground to join their, you know, capacities, join mm-hmm. their... Then this uh, is over. Then this is over. So it, it was very interesting that you know they, even the even the government realized that this is a dangerous uh, phenomenon and they have to act. So that's why they you know put back uh, the proposal. So you guys think it's going to be an exciting election season? Of course. If he, there's going he to be excited. If there's going to be an election, so there's some nightmare scenarios up in the air. If you want to go all but the season will theories, be interesting. The season itself will be interesting. Yeah. Will there be any? big differences between this election season that we're, we're about to enter and the one we saw in 2014? It's worlds apart. I think the stakes are much bigger. The central narrative is totally different. Uh, the central narrative in 2014, was it, it was literally called enough. And Fidesz's campaign was like, no, let's continue. So that, that was the question, enough or continue? And the country, like, not going into the specific details, but uh, we ended the, the continue option ended up winning, and now the the upper narrative is east versus west. Basically, mm-hmm. that's what they're trying to trying to phrase, which I think resonates with the classes who can afford to politicize ideologically. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can you translate that question so it, so it resonates with the wider wider uh, portion of the populace who really don't care if they're getting fucked over by someone called Sasha or someone called. Uh, 
Hans, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question that whether there will be an election or not in 2018. You know, uh, I launched this movement called uh, the Common Country and we are fighting for an equal, democratic and righteous uh, electoral system for the general elections. And uh, we will be, you know, uh, fighting for this uh, with all the opposition parties and even with uh, with Fidesz itself. Because the main problem with the, with the, with the current legislative system, the current uh, electoral system here in this country, is that it, it, it was not designed and passed by a consent, but just, you know, by uh, Fidesz. Yeah, it was unilaterally adopted. So, so, so we need a we, we, we need a different one, and we need a system with with the consent of the of every actually every uh, political party and organizations. So, and if you know the parliament will not pass uh, this change, which we will create during the autumn, then we will going forward, and we will you know um, form ourselves into a civil disobedience movement. And I guess that will be the point when you know all. All the figures on the table will, you know, removed, and the whole scene will be, you know, recreated in an absolutely different way. So I guess, you know, right now it seems like a stable system uh, where, you know, the, the the pressure has a chain or you know uh, a tube to to go out. But when you know the whole um, table will be recreated, there will be there will be a kind of uh, creative chaos, and I guess that's that's very. Um, good for rethinking your position and fighting for a more equal and more stable and more righteous society. And, you know, one more thing, because it's very important to emphasize that we we are fighting for this change. We are fighting against the government with absolutely non-violent tools. So that's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the point we, which I, ha- I have to emphasize all the time because, you know, that's the kind of an accusation from the government that we are animals who are, you know, want to, uh, you know, fight with the police forces, fight with uh, all the government uh, like journalists. Like the communication from their side is basically like that of an abusive husband, you know, it's like this grotesque uh, twisting of reality that... Uh, several protesters or, or pro-protest people have been attacked and uh, beaten up, or even like just a random person on the streets. Just been, wearing a uh, little pin, like I, I stand with CEU yeah. pin. Yeah. And uh, last week, a lady was attacked for protecting someone who was speaking English from a person who was yelling, dirty, immig- dirty immigrant, get out, which, you know, you can't help but hear uh, that it resonates with the government's campaign, again, the xenophobic campaigns that they've been doing. So you have these... Uh, things happening and then you know the government supporting media people say that yeah the protest protests are that are escalating into violence you know without with just like hiding the fact that who's the violence directed against you know yeah well yeah it is it is quite interesting because when you when you see these these standoffs when they get to the point as i mentioned earlier at parliament or at the fides headquarters um, when it gets to the point where there's a standoff between the protesters and police, and I've seen this a number of times, the protesters all just start sitting down. They just squat in front of the police. So it's clearly there's, you know, the police are there in riot gear. There has been no big escalation of uh, violence, God. really. Yeah, thank God. They really. But and, and there should not be, yes, of course. Look, n- next time you guys come in, um, I want to talk about this uh, This. This proposal that you have initiated amongst Hungarian parties here for a change to the electoral system, because there is a lot of interesting meat behind that substance. You know, Horasti Miklos has talked a lot about this, and there there is a there is a lot of differing opinions amongst opposition figures as to whether this is the right way to go about it. 
Um, but right now, let's finish this conversation with a conversation that you guys had last week. Or was it this week? It was last week. This week. By, by Ajolt? This week. That was this week. Yeah. It seems like Monday. it was so, so long ago. I know. So on Monday... Um, Jolt Bayad, who is a Fidesz publicist, his critics would argue that he is a troll, like he is a troll who fans the flames of hate, and that's kind of what he does. He writes incredibly insensitive, hostile um, things about people that he doesn't like or people that aren't necessarily favored by the government, and uh, and he's made a lot of racist statements in the past. I mean, he's called for like running over gypsy kids with cars yeah. and then stuff like this. Um, also some anti-Semitic statements. But the point is, he recently called for these protesters, not even these protesters, these were just demonstrators who showed up during a committee hearing in Parliament. Uh, we have a new NGO law on the, on, the, on the floor here in Hungary. And so a justice committee in the, in the Parliament was deliberating this law. And you had, um, you had a number of protesters who showed up during this committee hearing and silently held up signs during the hearing. Now, Jolt Bayer, during his radio program, said that these, he pretty much called for violence, that these people should be beat up, their faces should be smashed, and blah, blah, blah. One thing led to another. The Hungarian Civil Liberties Union invited Jolt Bayer to have coffee then to talk about what he's so afraid of and why he does, why he wants to do violence. You guys went to this meeting. Yeah. Bayer Jolt picked a spot, and you guys showed up there. There's a lot of criticism towards you guys. Why would you show up to this conversation with Jolt Bayer? Because uh, it was a trap. Uh, like, you're damned if you take it, you're damned if you don't. Uh, I think the original error was kind of inviting him out for a coffee already. So that was like, a, you don't feed the troll, sort of. Uh, that was, I think, sort of error number one. And then uh, it was like, I, the main criticism was like, you don't legitimate Bayer Jolt, and I don't think we are legitimating by a short. Yeah. Uh, That's and, ridiculous. And we, like, I, I, I don't want to speak for Marcy, but I don't think that we went there to have a conversation because... If no, no, we went there for a debate. Yeah. And uh, the problem was with the whole, you know, setup is that it was not designed for a debate. It was de designed for a kind of a conversation. And of course, you don't, you know, engage in the conversation with these kind of trolls, but you have to, you should to engage into debates. And the problem is that, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the the hosts of this event invited a moderator, a so-called moderator, who was absolutely not a moderator, so he was not there, you know, to, you know, put all the people on the same platform and you know engage them into this debate but you know to you know push down all the stress and all you know the disagreements and that's that's the problem that you know it's 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 a problem of hunger itself that we don't we are afraid of debates we are afraid of you know engaging into heated um you know uh, debates and uh, you know, the, the, the problem was not, you know, sitting in the same place with Bayer Jolt and, 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 and debating on these issues. The problem was that there was no debate and there was no place for a serious uh, uh, debate on, on his, his, uh, his rhetoric, on his uh, party's politics. Because the main problem is not, you know, that Jolt's writing about absolutely unacceptable um things against you know Roma people against uh, other kind of minorities the problem is that th this is the politics of the governing party right now Hungary and Joel Bayer is not nothing more than a than a, than a propaganda tool in the hand of uh, of of the head of the government uh, Orban Viktor but to add on that to the absurd hilarity of it all uh, because the main criticism against Bayer and against much of the governments even Orban Viktor said in ref reference to the protest that a lot of people's 
palms are itchy, which is which in Hungarian means you <clears throat> got to go slap around yeah, some yeah. people. Yeah, you, you're begging for a slap, and so when they're doing these violent rhetorics and protesters are getting attacked all around, you know, it's really frightening. And their way of attack was basically saying, "But you, the protesters, are violent." And to prove this, Bayer Schold came out with a printed paper that of wh- Facebook comments, and- of Facebook, <laughs> Facebook and Tumblr comments of people sharing their private opinions on blogs that are read by I don't know between ten and fifty people out of context, like from from debates that you know, like he was saying, like where was the outrage over this? And like if you read read the rest of the threads, then it's like a longer debate, mm-hmm. you know. So like, so we did show up, but like it didn't show up on the camera. Uh, but I want to mention that. Uh, he quoted, for example, uh, that the, the opposition wants to guillotine people. And he quoted a Tumblr blog that's already like a French Revolution themed blog by default, and it's run by this 40 kilo girl. So, like, if Bayer Jolt is afraid of a 40 kilo girl who's <laughs> going to guillotine him, I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's another, another chapter in this absurdity. Knowing now what you know of how this, how this meeting turned out with Bayer Jolt, um, if you had a chance to do it all over again and the first time didn't happen, would you do anything differently? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we would, I think, because... This we, will, we will divide him separately and then we will have a uh, right time and the place to confront him uh, in a very, you know, sharp way. Yeah, the the uh, the Fidesz has this uh, spectacle creating machine, right? So it's like uh, both their media and their journalists uh, and uh, and their civil society props and whatever, and they just basically create these images for the media that they can gen- then spread over all of the country. It's like a really really scary uh, reading of all media theory you can study, and uh, we basically walked into this grinder. And mm-hmm. it, what I would do differently is uh, if, if I had known that this, that they're taking this this seriously, it didn't seem so from the onset, then, you know, it is to create a counter spectacle so we can push the counter argument sort of in any, any means possible. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming by. Let's continue this. I had a lot of fun today. Marty, next time, you know, try showing up on time. You know, maybe you can be a part of the discussion a bit more. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Guys, thanks a lot for coming by. Thanks. Thank you for having us.